uh, together this morning, and, and for those of you joining online, uh, I just want to welcome you as well. Uh, if you are new with us, we have been journeying through this narrative that was written a couple of thousand years ago by this guy named Luke that was really documenting the origin of the church, how this got started, this thing that we are now a part of. And what we have seen uh, recently with this is we see the fact that there is this brand new group of Jesus followers who are just filled with God's Spirit, like the presence of God in the person of the Holy Spirit in their life. And amazing things are happening with this group of Jesus followers. And things are going really well. I mean, they share things. They, they make sure that nobody has any need. They're fascinated by who Jesus is and what Jesus has done from them. And if you know, you've read any kind of story, you know that at some point things are going to shift. And, and that's kind of where we find ourselves now in the narrative. We, a couple of weeks ago, we saw like this first threat against the church. And that's the series that we're in right now is the threat series. And, and this threat comes from this group of religious leaders who didn't really like what was happening. And so they call two of the leaders in front of this group of religious leaders, and they just ba basically shake their finger and said, you better stop sharing about Jesus or else. And, and, and these, these two men go back to their community of believers. They share exactly what's happened, and, 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 and some amazing things that we looked at last week take place. I mean, rather than being afraid or rather than, you know, all of the different things that could have happened, I mean, they, they kind of like draw close to one another and immediately they call out and they pray to God and they don't ask for God for this threat to re be removed. They ask God for, for, them to, for God to give them boldness to continue to do what he's called them to do. And, and God responds in a, in a huge way. And it says that they just continue to speak more boldly. And the Holy Spirit just continues to, to pour into this group of early Jesus followers. And, and they're unified like never before. In fact, the generosity that was experienced before where people were kind of sharing what they had and they would sell some of the possessions, all of a sudden now they're selling off land and they're selling off their homes and bringing the money to the apostles' feet so that nobody goes without. It's, it's an amazing Evidence of God working and moving in this early community. And that kind of leads us where we are this morning to the passage we're going to look at. And we're going to see a different threat this morning. Not one that comes from without, but one that threatens to come from within. And if you are, again, if you're new or you've not picked up one of these, we have these Acts journals. They're in the seats, uh, probably in front of you, underneath there in the rack. If you don't have one, we just invite you to take one. It's our gift to you. Use it as we go through the series. Or if you just want to have one, feel free to take it just as, as a gift. But we're going to be on page 28 of this journal today. We're going to look at Acts chapter 4, verse, and we're going to start with verse 36 this morning. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. And, and so it's interesting because Luke has gone from this generalization of all of the people who have land and property or houses are selling them and giving them to the poor, and then he focuses in on this guy named Joseph, that he did the same thing. And, 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 and so 
that kind of sets up, like the story of, of who Joseph is, called Barnabas, like that sets up what we're going to spend our time looking at this morning, and that's Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 1. But a man named Ananias with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deceit in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have carried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. Then when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard these things. Happy Mother's Day. So, I grew up in a pretty traditional church, and, and there were some really good things about that, and there were some challenges associated about that, but one of the really good things was kind of the, like when I was a little kid, the Sunday school thing that we grew up in, and, and what was interesting about that Sunday school culture is that as a kid in our Sunday school class, sometimes we would sing these songs that would line up with different Bible stories. And there was a song about only a boy named David. And there was a song about, you know, uh, Peter and John and they went to pray. Somebody thought it was a good idea to make this story a kid's song. Has anybody ever heard the Ananias and Sapphira song? Like nobody in the first service had heard this. Is it the same here? Man, I grew up in like a really alien place. All right, well, they, they coerced me to sing this song in the first service, so I'm going to curse you with this this morning, so don't hold this against me. So this is, this is the song that we learned with this story. It went something like this. Ananias and Sapphira got together to conspire a plot to cheat the church and get ahead. They knew God's word and did not heed it. Try to cheat the Holy Spirit, Peter prophesied it, and they both dropped dead. Ugh! Oh, that's not all. God loves a cheerful giver. Give it all you got. I kid you not. That's how that song went. I mean, imagine a group of first through third graders sitting in a classroom. There's like 20 of us. And we're singing about this couple that drops dead in the church and that God loves a cheerful giver, you know? I mean, it's no wonder that sometimes we all grow up with this like weird perception of who God is. Like if we don't, 
like give, then God's going to like strike us dead, right? And if you're hearing this story for the first time or, or you're listening, like you're being reminded of this story, you're probably like thinking like, man, this seems super harsh, right? So what's happening here? And there's something going on here that, that grabs Luke's attention so much that he decides to record this story. And not just that, he, that, that it grabbed his attention, but it was something that was so egregious that this was kind of the consequence of what happened. So let's take a little closer look at this this morning. You know, you've got this couple, Ananias and Sapphira, and they're doing everything that, like, what, this, what they see everybody else doing, right? They, they sell this land. They decide that rather than bringing all of the proceeds, that they're going to hold back some of them, but they're not going to tell anybody. And, and what you kind of like, kind of is, is, is implied in the story that's not really there is, is somehow when Ananias comes in, he indicates that everything that he has brought before the apostle Peter is everything that he got for the land. Like there's some indication of that. They, the sign Peter said, you know, why are you doing this? Like you own the land. You even had the money, and you could have done anything with it. And you could have even been honest about what you were bringing, but you chose to hold some of it back for yourself. And it's interesting that they didn't come in together. It's like, almost like God gives Sapphira her own chance. And she goes in, and she tells the same story when she's confronted with it. I mean, when, when Peter asked me the question, it'd be like, like that would raise a, a flag, right? That maybe, maybe something's up. But she sticks with the storyline and, and ended up dead. And what seems to be going on here is, is Luke has taken the, the, the story of, of Joseph or, or, or Barnabas, right? He starts with that story. And it's almost like, like he's pointing out what Barnabas has done and, and what a great story of generosity and, and not just the fact that he was generous with what he did with the land, but there was something about this guy that that caused the apostles, these church leaders, to rename him. I mean, back then, names meant something, and he went from Joseph to son of encouragement, Barnabas. I mean, what a remarkable, what a remarkable person. And Luke is contrasting kind of what, what Joseph did, who Joseph was, and, and what Ananias and Sapphira attempted to do, and how this was threatening to the church. I mean, doesn't everyone want the reputation of Barnabas? And here's what I think we see happening in here. Ananias and Sapphira wanted to look good to others. And so they pretended to do and to be something that they weren't. There's a word for this. And maybe you've heard this word and maybe you haven't. It's hypocrisy. And what hypocrisy is, is basically it's pretending to be someone you're not. It, it, the word kind of origin, the origin of this word is a Greek word. It comes out of the, the theater, like the Greek plays. And it would be the idea of somebody that's playing a part or playing a role. And you may ask yourself, well, why is this such a threat? Like, why... This kind of thing. What, what is so threatening about this? Let me ask you this question. If I could ask you, what is the number one criticism of those in the church today, what do you think that criticism is? 
They're all a bunch of hypocrites, right? They don't practice what they preach, and, and unfortunately, we have a reputation of pretending to be something we're not. And would there have been anything more damaging to this new group of believers than to have a community of people who are pretending to follow Jesus while in reality all of they're doing is just living for themselves? And let me be super clear on something before we go further because I don't want to get this confused and I don't want this to get lost. There is a big difference and a huge difference between being a hypocrite and following Jesus while you're still struggling with sin. Because here's the truth. All of us, all of us struggle with sin. And all of us will continue to struggle with sin on this side of heaven. Paul, the Apostle Paul, who we're going to hear a lot about in the weeks to come, wrote this in Romans chapter 7, verses 18 19. He said this, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You hear the struggle? For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep doing. I mean, that's, that's Paul, wrote most of the New Testament. Do you hear the wrestling and the struggle that he has with sin in his life? In our wrestling with sin and knowing that we will never be perfect until Jesus comes again doesn't give us a pass or an excuse to keep on sinning. Those two things, I think, are super important to keep in mind. But hypocrisy is, the in is intentional and it's driven by something deeper. And that's what we're going to explore today. First, I want to look at why hypocrisy exists like why is this even a thing why is it a thing for us to pretend to be somebody that we're not you know they wanted Ananias and Sapphira here wanted people to think that they they were something they wanted them to think that they were he was they were just like Barnabas they wanted people to think that they were better than they were can we be honest this morning we aren't any different I, I'm not any different I want to appear better than I am. And there are many ways that we do this. I mean, we can only talk about the good things that are happening and never share with anybody our struggles, our challenges, the things that we wrestle with in our sin. We can use religious talk and phrases to keep others kind of at arm's length. And sometimes it gives us the appearance of being closer to God and there's a different reality. And we can project an image that we think people want to see. Something that makes us look good. I mean, that's really what our whole culture is about, right? I mean, our whole culture is about elevating our status, elevating our, our, our persona. I mean, there's a whole social media platform that's based upon this. Make yourself look good to others. I mean, there's filters and Photoshop. I mean, I've got a friend on Facebook that's about my age that uses this filter. I'm like, you look nothing like that in person. And here's the crazy part. We know 
that we're messed up and we know that everybody else is messed up and yet we continue to put up a front and we continue to create this persona. Why do we do this? Because we don't want people to see the real us. And really at the core of that, there's two things that drive that. There's pride and there's fear. Pride says we want to be seen better than we are and we want to elevate ourselves. And fear says we don't want people to see us for who we really are and what we really do. And at the core of this, like what underlies that, like the pride and fear thing, is our effort to try to redeem ourselves, to save ourselves. If we can just look good enough and act the part, we say the right words and we dress the right way, we go through the motions, we raise our hands at the right songs, no one needs to know what's really going on. No one needs to know who we really are. It's, it's why Jesus was so critical of the religious leaders. I mean, this is what they did. This is why he was so hard on them. Listen to what he said in Matthew 23, verses 3 through 7. He's talking about the religious leaders. He says, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. Where they make their phylacteries broad. Now, a phylactery, if you don't know what that is, is like it was something, a little container that contained scripture that often they would tie around their head. And their fringe is long, and they love places of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogue and greetings at the marketplace and being called rabbi by others. I mean, they're all into people noticing and seeing them. And, and here's the thing. Here's at the core of why hypocrisy exists. We want the reputation of transformation without the process of transformation. We want the reputation of transformation without the process of transformation. We, so what we do is we project a false image of ourselves. So that's why it exists. But what does hypocrisy, like what does it do? Really what it does is it produces two things, hiding and judgment. Hiding or judging. And our tendency when we are in this place of pretending to be something that we're not, we tend to hide or disguise who we really are. And we, we do this in a couple, like I want to show a couple images of this. One is that we tend to fill in the cracks. In, in this time and in, in, in the centuries that would follow, sculptors would often carve sculptures out of marble or granite or something like that. And, and frequently in the, the process of sculpting, they would either damage the stone or they would find cracks or crevices in the stone that they just couldn't take out because it would affect the shape. And so what they would do is they would fill those cracks with wax so that, that it would look perfect. You can no longer see the cracks. And that's often what we do in our lives is we attempt to hide or cover up what's broken in our lives. We never talk about what we struggle with. 
We always appear happy. When, like, we're just devastated and we're inside and someone asks you how you're doing, you just say, I'm fine, I'm good. Or, or worse, we use religious activity in place of our relationship with God. The, the second image is this, and this is really where the theatrical idea is that we put a mask on. We, we wear a mask to, to project an image that we think that other people want to see, and so we try to become somebody that we're not. And, and because people will not, because we're afraid that people won't approve or like who we really are, like the real us. It's like we become religious catfish. Familiar with the term catfish? Like, the only reason I know this is because I have a 16-year-old daughter. And the catfish is somebody who pretends to be somebody on social media or on a dating platform, and they're really like a completely different person in order to lure somebody in. I mean, that's essentially what we do. We just become religious catfish. Rather than allowing the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do in our lives, we simply try to cover up who we really are. And we put on our Sunday faces or we project an untrue image or picture of how things really are in our lives. Image becomes everything. And this is more than just simply wanting to be liked. It, what it's really at the core, what it's trying to say and do, you're trying to say and do all the right things without really surrendering and submitting yourself to the only one who can truly change you. And ultimately, what hypocrisy produces is self-righteousness. And being self-righteous, in other words, thinking that somehow you can just be good enough for God in and of yourself by what you do, being self-righteous is exhausting. And ultimately, it's powerless, and it's fruitless, and no real change takes place because you cannot save yourself. And the most damaging thing about self-righteousness is that what self-righteousness produces is becoming judgmental. We become judgmental. We make ourselves feel better, and, and we justify our own mess and brokenness by being quick to point out the mess and brokenness of others. And, and Jesus warned against this in Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. He said this, he said, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your own eye? Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Self-righteous people often are the most judgmental because they think it's their efforts that are making things right with God, and anyone who doesn't measure up can't possibly have a relationship with God. And both of these outcomes of pretending to be somebody that you're not, both of these, these hiding and being judgmental, kill true community. And it leaves in its wake hurt and disillusionment. Because no one believes that they can measure up to what they see or they're put down and judged because of what they do. There is a better way. 
Like how, how, do we, how is hypocrisy eliminated? Like how do we eliminate hypocrisy? Let me suggest this. We have to embrace the gospel. The reason this exists, the reason hypocrisy exists is an, an incomplete ap- understanding or an incomplete application of the gospel, of what Jesus has done for us. Because again, oftentimes when we see the gospel, we think it's just the beginning point of our relationship with, with God. And it's so much more. I mean, the gospel is everything. The message of the gospel is this. Our sin separates us, all of us, from God, and the consequence of our sin is death. And there is nothing that we can do to fix it. Our relationship with God cannot be restored by just doing good or trying harder. And because we cannot save ourselves, God himself in the person of Jesus paid the price of our sin with his life, which he willingly laid down for us on the cross. And he rose from the dead. And because of his death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, he conquered both sin and death. And Jesus' sacrifice offers us an opportunity for our relationship to be restored with God. Simply by accepting this free gift and acknowledging Jesus as our Savior and Lord. It's that simple. And when this happens, when you do this, when you experience this, you are completely forgiven of everything you have done and everything that you will do. And not because of what you've done or because because you're worth it, but because of what he has done for us. And what this means, and I want you to catch this, because this is where this hits the heart of hypocrisy. What this means is when the only one who matters, God, sees us, he sees the perfection of his son, Jesus. Like every time, when you've accepted him, every time God looks at you, he doesn't see your mess and your brokenness. He sees the perfection of his son, Jesus. That's amazing. That's incredible. And Jesus accepts us where we are. You don't have to try to clean yourself up or get right with God before you make this decision. He accepts us in our brokenness and our mess and our mess, but at the same time, he loves us too much to leave us in our brokenness and our mess. And so what he does is he gives us his, the person of the Holy Spirit to dwell in us. And the Spirit is the only one who brings this transformation. This true transformation that makes us more like Jesus. It gives us the ability to start to follow him. Doesn't mean that we're perfect means that we continue to wrestle with sin because of the Holy Spirit. And he does this from the inside out. I mean, the Holy Spirit doesn't start with this list of behaviors that we've got to fix. I mean, that's just behavior modification or just moralism. What, what the Spirit does is the Spirit begins to change us from the inside out. What that means is he doesn't deal with our behaviors. He changes our identity. He makes us sons and daughters of, of God. And this is why this is so important. It means that our value and worth is not found in what we do or what we don't do, or what we have done or what we will do. It's in the one who loves us. Like our value is in the fact that we are loved by the God of the universe. 
And when we begin to grasp this and embrace this and live like this, it frees us from pretending to be something that we're not. It frees us from hypocrisy. We don't have to put on a mask or hide our imperfections because the one who matters most loves us regardless. There is nothing you and I can do that can separate us from his love. Our identity isn't in what we do or don't do, and it's certainly not in what other people see in us. And what this does is when a community of people begin to do this, what it frees in us is it frees us to become a gospel community. It frees us to become sincere, a sincere and transparent community. And the reason I chose the word sincere is because the word sincere literally means without wax. We don't have to live with wax any longer. We don't have to fill in the cracks any longer. We can, we can be open and honest and transparent about our struggles with one another. We don't have to hide anymore. And, and one of the things I love about the Bible... One of the things I love about the Bible and why I really believe that it is the word of God is because the Bible isn't afraid. The authors, the ones who are inspired by God to write the Bible, isn't afraid to point out the flaws in those that we would consider spiritual heroes. And it does it quite frequently. I mean, some of the men and women in Scripture that I look up to most, the Bible always kind of shows their cracks. Some of them are pretty big cracks. And I think it does this for two reason, reasons. I think, one, it's a stark contrast between just the characters of the Bible and the person of Jesus because Jesus is the only one that was perfect. And, and the second one is I think what it does is it begins to make the characters of the, of the Bible, the ones that, we, that we, we hear stories of, it makes them extremely relatable. Like, I, I can see myself in some of these characters. Like, I can relate to some of Peter's struggles. I can relate to some of the stuff that you see in the other major... Like, they make, it makes them relatable. There's a guy I kind of listen to on occasion who's got a church in, in Colorado. His name is Jim Bergen, and I heard him speak at a conference years ago. And, and Jim described the kind of community that he saw his church being, and he described this as a kind of a Me Too community. And the way he defined that was, you know, whenever anybody would come up and just talk about the stuff that they were wrestling with in their life, whatever their sin was, whatever, you know, whatever brokenness was coming out in their life, whatever that struggle was, you know, they had developed a culture and a language where they just basically said, you know what, me too. I really, like, I really struggle with, you know, pride. Yeah, yeah me too. Or, or I really struggle with, like, really... Showing love to my wife, yeah. Whatever that is, that idea of a Me Too community, and what I love about what God has brought here, what God is creating here at South Point, is I, I believe that we reflect some of that. I, I think that we have kind of a Me Too community. I mean, I, I can have conversations with people in the hallway, and, and, and it's amazing to me, or in our, in our small group community, whatever that is, and it's amazing to me how quickly people feel willing to be able to share the cracks. They don't feel like they have to wear masks. And man, I hope that we continue to grow in that. I'm not saying that we've arrived, but I'm saying I hope that we grow in that. It, it, it's, complete, it's so liberating and freeing to know 
that man, because I don't think I could do what I do if I lived in a place, if I was a part of a church that I felt like I had to hide who I was. Because I'm, I'm going to tell you right now, there are a lot of cracks. There are a lot of cracks. In, in our community, the places that you live and you work, the communities that you live in, the people that you're close to, your families, our community needs a community that is a me too community. That is willing to be honest and transparent and open with the struggle that we all, those struggles that we all struggle with. And man, I pray and I hope that we become, we continue to become a community that points people to the freedom that can be found in Jesus. And I pray that we become a community that can live in the freedom of being sincere and transparent because our struggle with sin, you, even in spite of our struggle with sin, we are fully loved and completely loved and forgiven by the God of the universe. And I pray that we are a community that is continually being transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, you are awesome and you are good. And Father, I am so grateful that because of Jesus, we can have this amazing freedom that we can be vulnerable, that we can be transparent, that we don't have to hide who we are because we know that we're fully loved by you. Father, I pray that you would continue to work in us as a church, that we would continue to strip away the layers, that we would tear off the mask, that we would let the wax just go away, that everything that we try to do to cover and hide would just go away, and Father, that we could be honest. we can struggle together, that we can welcome anybody who wrestles with this. Father, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for how the power of it. Thank you for how it changes and transforms us. Thank you for your spirit that continues to work in us to make us more like Jesus. And it's in his name we pray.